friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. Boy, do I have a show for you today. This is one of my favorites ever. It is so empowering and motivating, and it's just one of those ones that I've not only been thinking about since the interview, but I've actually been inspired to make real positive changes in my life. My guest today is the amazing Lauren Singer, who is the woman behind the blog and Instagram handle Trashes for Tossers and the founder of the Package Free Shop. Lauren first gained notoriety when she started living a zero-waste life years ago. I remember seeing her on some national TV show almost a decade ago, I feel like, and she was talking about how all of the trash in her life fit into a single mason jar. She inspired a ton of people back then, and she was all over the media. She even gave a TED Talk, which is so cool, but I think it's even more fascinating and inspiring how she's evolved her ideals and her business since then. She started a non-toxic laundry detergent company, and then she founded the mega-successful package-free shop, which has a brick-and-mortar store in Brooklyn and an online store and is the home to absolutely everything you need to cut back on waste in your life from menstrual cups to beeswax wraps to bar shampoo to metal straws. When I talked to her, she had just raised a $5 million round to expand her business, which as we talked about in this episode means making a life that's good for the environment and your body accessible to absolutely everyone, no matter how much money they have or where they live. So basically, she's a powerhouse business lady who is saving our bodies and the environment. No big deal. Nope, nope, nothing. I'm going to be honest. While I care deeply about the environment, I wouldn't normally listen to a podcast about it simply because I find the subject, I don't know, like kind of depressing, mostly because I feel like there's so little that I can actually do that makes a real difference on a national level or a global level. But I promise this episode is not depressing at all. This is an episode that I would listen to, and I'm very sensitive about these types of things. It's truly so empowering. You'll come away juiced and feeling positive about the direction of the world. And Lauren actually did a ton to combat my fear about the environment and the direction that everything is going. So thank you, Lauren. I appreciate that. It's a great episode if you're looking to live a lower waste life, but it's also a great one if you're interested in living a more conscious life generally or working at a job that you feel like represents your values and makes the world a better place. We get into Lauren's career path, her advice for other social entrepreneurs, and how she grew her business for good. And I just think that's so, it's such an inspiring story that you can do your work, but also be contributing something so important to the world on top of that. And then, because this is the Healthier Together podcast, we also talk about hormonal depression, and we talk about vibrators, and we talk about chin hairs, and we talk about why a low-waste lifestyle can help you find a date. Yes, really. You'll get to know Lauren the person, Lauren the badass entrepreneur, Lauren the empowering friend who will make you want to live a more meaningful and impactful life. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. I don't know. I'm just so excited for you to hear this one, truly. I can't wait to hear your thoughts, so please share them. I'm at Liz Moody on Instagram, and Lauren is at Trashes for Tossers. And you can also find a ton of low-waste lifestyle tips at TrashesforTossers.com and all of the products you need to enable a low-waste life at PackageFreeShop.com. 
One teeny tiny note, we recorded this episode in a conference room at Lauren's office, and our whole company was still hard at work right outside the door to the conference room. We did our best to edit everything out, and it should sound awesome, but I'm a perfectionist, so I feel the need to apologize for any tiny background sounds that might sneak through. Lauren is a busy CEO, and this is just something that comes with the territory. So also... Super quick reminder, I am still doing giveaways as a little thank you for listening to the podcast and for leaving a review. To enter, you just leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and then you screenshot it and share it on Insta, and you tag me at Liz Moody. I'll be picking a few people every month to send a care package to of my favorite non-toxic beauty products, healthy foods, cookbooks. It's really just a little way for me to thank you and to show you that I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and to leave a review. I truly read every single one and I am so touched by them. There was a woman recently who shared that listening to the podcast was this huge part of her healing process after getting a concussion and it it was just so beautiful. If you're listening, thank you for sharing that with me and I feel so honored to have even been a teeny, teeny, tiny part of your healing process, and I'm sending you so many positive vibes. So thank you, thank you, thank you. This is just a little thing I'm going to try to do as a way to say thank you to all of you. So I'm going to try to do as many as I can, absolutely as many as I can. Um, If you don't win one month, you might get picked the next month or the month after. You just have to do one rating, one review, screenshot it one time and share on Instagram and tag me at Liz Moody so I can see that you've done it and know who you are so I can contact you. And then you are forever entered. All right, that was enough from me. Let's get into the episode. All right, we're sitting in the office room of Lauren's incredible office. I feel like you're a very serious business lady. It's like we have a whole whiteboard situation and a sad dog. And <laughs> we're all painting that. a great picture. <laughs> <laughs> it's really impressive. Okay, so I want to <laughs> kick off with um, a bet that we made last time I saw you, which was who was going to be the first person to go public about a certain thing. You remember this bet? No. Okay. Well, I thought it would be a really nice kickoff to the podcast for us both to go public. To be fair, we drink a lot of water. (laughs) At the same time, about a weird place on one's body that they found strange hairs. Weird. (laughs) Do you remember this? The first person to go public about that. Yeah, it was going to be whoever posts on their Instagram first would be the winner. No, I didn't do it, but I thought the podcast, we could like come out together. I plucked a chin hair the other day. I mean, I pluck a chin hair like every day. (laughs) (laughs) It's something I think that women don't talk about almost ever. Like I feel like I pluck three to four nipple hairs. I think the girl we were with, I shan't out her, but she like. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky her. (laughs) She's like, I've never had a nipple hair. What is this? But I definitely have experienced. Like she was lying. Yeah. I mean, I think anybody who says they don't find weird hairs on their body is definitely lying. Unless they're like. Real blonde or. But then it's still there. Or like those people that are really actually very hairless, which exist. Like seals? Yeah. Like seal people. Seal people. (laughs) I am not one of those people. (laughs) I am Eastern European Jewish. So. You're very well groomed though. Like I'm always, I think it's so, you say, you you say it in an interview that you say it. You said in an interview you used four products. Is that still true? Yeah. So, I mean, my routine is really simple. I use this like tea tree charcoal bar soap that we sell at Package Free, a moisturizer, like oil that we sell here. Um, And then a shampoo product and 
then I'll use like a spot treatment when I break out, which over the past few months has been like pretty often. Really? Your skin looks bananas good. Thanks. That's really nice. Yeah. (laughs) Because I've not been good to my body this past few weeks. What does that mean? Um, I think just like post fundraise going out and trying to like all of a sudden be in this new world where people want to meet you and talk to you and um, are interested in you, not as like the girl with a jar of trash, but like a girl that raised $5 million to grow and scale her business. Which is incredible. A really exciting time. But then I, I didn't realize the like time that that would take um, for my life. And I'm such an introverted person and I love being alone and at home and like doing per- like personal things for myself. Yeah. Um, so it's been like a really interesting transition. And so I'm finding new ways to like incorporate self-care into my routine. But so what's the stuff you have to like go out and do just for people who haven't say raised $5 million for their company and don't know what you're talking about. And then what's the stuff you do at home to recharge? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the most exciting time of my life. And I feel like even though I'm not sleeping as much, like I'm sleeping less than I have in my entire life and like eating worse or drinking more, like I feel like I'm building and I feel like that's such an exciting energy that I'm so grateful to be riding. It's a really new experience for me. Um, So I just meet like so many different people from like nonprofits or from venture capital or um, other business owners. And it's just a really, I mean, business is amazing in in general because it's like all these people who are riding this like building energy wave and i feel like really grateful to be a part of it in my own small little weird way and so to kind of recharge i mean i have my routine things that i can't ever stray from um which are you know taking my compost to the farmer's market every saturday walking rose my dog who (laughs) does look very sad right now she has like resting, sad or skeptical. Uh, yeah, she, I feel like she's both skeptical and sad that she's like not playing with other dogs right now. Oh, <laughs> hard life. And she'll look at you in the eye like dead stare, no expression. Like she just, yeah, she's a very special bird. Um, what else? I mean, I, I try to get a massage once a week. That really helps. Um, and then grocery shopping I've been a lot worse at making food for myself I've been pretty bad at yeah that's something I wanted to talk to you about for sure is because I feel like you've dispelled the notion in other interviews and stuff I've read with you that being zero waste is something that's for like the privileged elite Mm -hmm. but it does to me and I and maybe you could touch on that again here for people who still think it's like for Gwyneth Paltrow and Mm -hmm. good people but um it feels like something that requires a lot of time like I always, before I go to the airport, for instance, every single time I'm like, I'm going to pack my own food. I'm Mm -hmm. going to do it. And every time I run out of time and then I end up buying some sort of shitty sweet green salad or um, not that the sweet green salad is shitty. Sweet green is great. Or buying like something at the airport or something like that. I just feel like I run, I have the best intentions. I run out of time. For me, I mean, it's taken me... I'm still learning and growing every day, but for me, there's like certain things that I prioritize and the food that I eat, like I would rather not eat than eat something that's like processed or shitty. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like prioritizing time for airport food is like one of those things that I, you just, I just, like, I have to, yeah. Um, or I just won't eat and I'll like drink a lot of water. And I really like, I think that's one of the reasons that I have the energy to like be in this place in my life that I'm in because I don't sacrifice on like eating junk. Um, and like 
wasting packaging, making trash, eating processed food, supporting industries that I don't like. I think food is one of those things that because I am so strict about like the quality that I'll consume and and like eating fresh food, I think that keeps me alive yeah. <laughs> in like a time where I should feel like a lot of like I should feel really shitty. Have you ever run into situations like where you can't actually not eat for any longer and you have to compromise in some way or no? I haven't really had to compromise. I mean, I think one, a lot of people confuse dehydration and hunger a lot. Yeah, I think Um, that's true for sure. And I try to stay hydrated. It's I've been like not great at it lately, but um, no, I'm usually pretty good. Like I think about my week, what my schedule is, when I'll be able to eat. Um, if I'm out for the day, I like try to have snacks or like plan something. So I, I, you know, when I, before I was living this lifestyle, I was kind of like living by the seat of my pants and like eating whatever I had time or doing whatever. And I think now, I mean, it's been such a long time, but I really do try to think a little bit more and plan a little bit more. Um, and of course, like things happen where like food gets delivered when I'm (laughs) recording something or whatever. Um, but I, try really hard to to think about at least like eating as a priority do you do like a meal prep or something on it depends I mean honestly the past two years of of starting this company has really changed my my routines and I think getting a dog has also changed my routines a lot because how I how long ago did you get her I got her like a year ago a little less than a year ago um but it's taken me time to build new routines around having her. So like, I can't go to yoga right after work anymore because there's nowhere for me to drop rows. So yeah. I have to go home. And then by the time I go home, I'm like, actually, I don't really want to go to yoga. Mm. Like, you know, those types of things are going grocery shopping is a little harder. Um, but I do try to meal prep at least for like the, the earlier half of the week. Sometimes it's harder than others, but you know, making like big pots of rice and having vegetables and like prepping food. So at least it's like the lowest hanging fruit. If I don't have anything prepared, it's like I have some cut broccoli and like some rice ready. So so I asked for questions and we'll get to the questions that people had online. But so many people were curious what you actually eat. They're like, and not, and I, and it's weird because your diet isn't restrictive. It's not like you're like, oh, I zero waste shouldn't limit the types of food you can eat outside of packaged food. Yeah. No, and it does. I mean, I wrote about this on my Instagram like pretty recently, but when I was in high school, found food was a really great tool for me to combat some depression that I had. I realized that I was eating really poorly and by changing my my food habits, um, it actually helped my mental state a lot. And since that point, I've always prioritized food um, as something that is kind of a non-negotiable as far as compromising on. But I eat really simply. And I think it's one, just because I like simple, clean food and two, because it's easy and fits my lifestyle. And three, it's like perfectly aligned with low waste living. So I'll mostly eat um, like rice with vegetables or I'll eat um, pasta with vegetables. Okay. So that's like dinner. What would be like a breakfast situation? I don't eat breakfast. I drink coffee in the morning and then I don't really eat until like 1212. Okay. And then that'll be like the pasta or or like, I don't know, like today's a day that I didn't bring food. So there's like a vegan place a couple blocks away where I got a burrito that comes wrapped in paper, which I compost. So do you have like a running list in your head of all the places that... Yeah, 100%. 
Okay. You know, everywhere. And do you recommend if other people wanted to like be able to eat out, but do lower waste that they would just sort of call places and figure out? I think we live in a time where like human interaction isn't at its peak, like interpersonal in or in person or just like communication isn't at its at its peak in terms of like calling someone or asking someone a question to their face. But I think it's like you can call a restaurant and be like, Hey, I really want to eat from you, but, um, I don't want to use plastic. Can I, can you, do you guys have the capacity or could you make an exception and and do something without plastic for me? And usually they're like, yeah, that's dope. Um, but you know, sometimes people just forget that that's an option. Like asking for what you want, um, it's really easy. Yeah. I love the idea of using it as a way to, to have a little bit more human connection in our lives. Cause I feel like that's like one of my biggest things. I, I believe we're in like an epidemic of loneliness time and, and all of that. Um, have you, you said that you were sort of had a, a bout with depression when you were younger and then you changed your eating habits. Have you had any other sort of mental health um, struggles as you've, especially like I'm thinking now with this huge change that you're sort of dealing with in your life. I mean, one hormonal depression happens to me like every month. Mm. I think it, it happens to a lot of menstruating people. Um, and it's something that I've learned is just like a part of my monthly routine. And like, you know, I, I track my period and it's my favorite app that I have. Because, Which one do you um, use? I just use one that's called period. Um, it's very on the nose. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when I'm feeling a certain way or I'm like really sad or feeling just like really upset with a lot of things, I can look at the app and be like, okay, it's three days before my period. I know that this is a part of my process and being instead of like fighting against my emotions, which I used to do when I was younger, like understanding my emotional like peaks and valleys mm-hmm. has been a really amazing way for me to um, just like accept that I'm a dynamic person emotionally and, um, and love that sometimes I feel less happy than other times. And it, it also is like a really creative time for me. It's like a really reflective time for me. So learning how to work with that as opposed to against it has been, um, like a very large, I guess, positive in my life. So what will, if you're feeling like a little mad, you check period and it's like your period's coming up will you change your lifestyle on those days in sort of concrete pragmatic ways definitely so one thing that I do is if I'm in a relationship um I'm very proactive about letting people know that that's the place that I'm in I think it's a really kind thing to do when you're in a partnership is just be like hey you know I'm at this place in my month where like I'm feeling a little bit lower and maybe I need a little bit more alone time and I just wanted to make you aware um I found that that's been really helpful in relationships because some months it's like I hardly even feel anything at all. And then some months I just like get really low and it's only a couple of days. But um, I think making making people that are vulnerable to like my highs and lows uh, aware is just has been really great. Um, Will you I'll, do that at the office as well or do it doesn't you just affect keep it work? Okay. It doesn't affect work, but it would definitely affect like an interpersonal relationship. Mm-hmm. I think work is like a very like I'm very just focused. There's goals, but with like interpersonal relationships, when you kind of let down that work barrier, sometimes like someone can say the wrong thing or just be there when you don't want them to be there. And I think for me, the biggest thing is when I'm feeling low, I just need to be alone um, and just making that aware or making that known to a partner and just saying like, it, I just need this time by myself and like, thank you for giving me the space to take it. Yeah. Have you ever had a partner be like, I feel like 
guys and and maybe I'm I am I'm totally stereotyping here, but whenever I tell Zach that I have a problem, he's like, "Okay, let me figure out how to fix it." And if I was just like, no, no, I just need to be alone. He'd be like, well, okay, but have you tried this or could I do this? I'm definitely like the kind of person that does that. I'm such a, because I think business makes you really driven towards solutions. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes people just want to bitch or like be alone and, you know, like men, women, everyone. Um, And I've tried to learn how to like just listen instead of like try to give advice and solutions for every single time it's someone comes to me. It's so really hard. hard. It's really, really hard. It's because you it's, – it's almost like you're like, yeah, I hear you. And you can even say – and I think literally saying the words I hear you is such – like whenever somebody says this to me, I just feel like full body, like a wave of relief. Yeah, or like that's really shitty. You're like, yeah. oh my God, Oh my you. God, like, that's really shitty sucks. is the <laughs> best thing somebody can say to yeah. you. Yeah, and I, I think it – because there's not a lot of solutions mm-hmm. to a lot of things. And even if there is like – someone has to be in a place to receive that. And yeah. when you're feeling low, that's usually not the time. Well, and there's also like the implication, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, that like, oh, if I've had this huge problem and it's making me really down and I tell it to you and then you're just like, solution, solution, solution. It's like, oh, in five and a half seconds, you were able to solve my problem. I'm like, yeah, if, like if it's a big problem, that's yourself. probably yeah. not the case. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little like a belittling to the, the gravity of It like the trivializes something yeah. that makes someone feel something very real. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you, speaking of things that are big and overwhelming, when you, I think one of the hardest things for me about the environment is um, how depressing I find it when I think about it in, in mass. Mm-hmm. How do you combat that? I mean, I studied environmental science and it was so depressing. Yeah. Um, Do they just tell you, like, here's all the reasons that the world is fucked? I mean, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you learn about systems and how nature works and how the earth needs to find balance and yeah. how anthropogenic um, triggers are changing the way the earth finds its like stasis and um it can yeah it feels really sad sometimes but I think it felt the most sad to me when I felt like I was learning about all these things and had no control over doing anything about it um and I think that was because of the the vantage point that I was using to look at all of these problems so I looked at environmental uh stability as something that like other people were impacting. So like big businesses and governments, and I would just like otherize all of these problems and be like, I'm so depressed because everyone's making these terrible decisions and I have no ability to do anything about it except for use my voice in protest or activism. And I think activism is amazing, but it's one of those things that if there's no tangible ask, it can be very overwhelming and and cause paralysis in a lot of ways. Um, But I think anything that's driven by fear can do that. And so when I when I started living a zero waste lifestyle and internalizing like, wait, I'm not separate from the system. I'm a part of the system and my daily actions contribute to what the world looks like, even if it's just in a small way, creating that shift and like looking at myself and being introspective and then finding ways to align my day-to-day actions with my values for how I wanted the world to look kind of took that fear away and instilled me with power. And I think that's the power that's motivated me and, um, pushed me to do all of the things that I've done over the past, I don't know, eight years. So start my blog and change my consumption habits and start my first company and then start my second company. It's all based on being introspective and realizing that I do as an individual, as we all do, have the power to create 
positive environmental impact if we choose to do so. So what would you say, like, when you say that, I'm like so inspired, but I know in my day-to-day life, I still feel like when I recycle or when I, uh, you know, bring my tote to the grocery store or stuff like that, I'm just like, this is a, such a drop in the bucket compared mm-hmm. to the, what the oil companies are doing. For sure. And it may, I find it really frustrating, particular, particularly with how the climate's sort of being dealt with on a governmental level. I think every positive change is positive. So using your tote bag and not using a plastic bag seems small, but you're not subsidizing an industry that is so powerful and so large. So like, even though it is a tiny drop in the bucket, it has a positive impact. And so I try to celebrate those little wins. And then I also like to think about, okay, now that I have this awareness that I want to do something about environmental sustainability, about climate change, how can I apply that mentality to what I'm already doing in my everyday life to create impact in the things that interest me? Um, And I think, you know, like talking to me and raising awareness is like one of those ways. Um, so it doesn't have to be like a directly tangible thing. I think the the thing that I focus on is like, if you know that there's a problem, how can you use your voice to do something about it every day, even if it's in a tiny little way? Well, and I think what's interesting about you is you you sort of started in a tiny way and now it's this you know, major company that has the potential to really shift paradigms. And I think that's really cool. Um, So I'd love to talk a little bit about how you became sort of an entrepreneur for good. When you started, actually, can you just really fast, don't spend too much time on it, but tell us you're like, I was in NYU and some girl came in with a plastic bag. I mean, really for me, it comes down to realizing that I needed to live my values. And I think we, you know, I was raised in a way where I was always thinking about how other people felt and how to treat or not treat other people, but never to ask myself, what do I want? How do I want to be treated? What makes me happy? And what do I want to contribute to the world? Um, And that's kind of the shift that I had when I was in college. So studied environmental science at NYU, but was very much pushed into doing that through reading Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, which is about the effects of DDT on, you know, bird populations, humans, and the environment. It was my first realization that human beings have the capacity, the only creatures really on earth that have the capacity to alter or destroy the planet for everything else that lives here. And that made me feel a lot of fear of just like the human species, but also a lot of power as an individual, because some of the most catastrophic things that have happened on the planet are a result of Uh, decisions of a few people, right? And if you could be one of those few people to do something bad, maybe you could be one of a few people to do something really good. Oh my God, that's a profound (laughs) thought. That's an act like... You can keep going one second. Can you just repeat that? Because that's like a profound thought, actually. It just... Like the idea that... That if you think, yeah, if you think about some of the most negative, scary things in the world, it's been just a few people. And the the fact... as a single person, I do think people can feel really disempowered, but the fact that any person could have that that type of outsized impact. Yeah, I think we have the choice to do bad things or good things every day. And, you know, some people more than others have yeah. that power, but everyone had to start somewhere. And I think if you recognize that you have the ability to do good or bad, then you can start focusing on ways that you can do good. Um, Were you raised in an environmentally conscious household whatsoever? Not at all. Not okay. at all. Um, I was raised in a household that I had where I had the freedom to explore, 
which I think has given me a lot of space to like come to my own conclusions about life and and be open to learning about a lot of different things. Are you an only child? No, I have had I have siblings and have had many like step siblings in my life. I've moved around a lot, um, but I was always given the freedom to change my mind and do things, quit things when I didn't like it. What are your parents – like what sort of world are your parents in career-wise? Uh, my dad is a doctor. Okay. So he's highly intelligent. Just um, like a general practice. He's a radiologist and mammographer, so he focuses on breast cancer. Oh, wow. Um, not an easy job. No. Um, and my mom is one of the most like creatively inspiring people I've ever met and also just like – very free in in how she lives her life so she doesn't do things that don't make her happy she's highly entrepreneurial has started many businesses incredibly creative right now she's um she owns and runs a really successful interior design business but she's kind of always instilled in me this this concept that like if there's nothing in life except for death that's permanent so you have to do the things that make you happy you know like you have one life to live go and that's given me a lot of freedom to to change my mind and make choices that uh, make me happy and align with my values. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to share today's sponsor with you. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I am absolutely addicted to skinny dipped almonds. I remember the first time I tried them years ago when I had a full-time editorial job. I looked at the package and I was like, eh, They're chocolate-covered almonds. What's the big deal? I've had chocolate-covered almonds like a zillion times in my life. And then I took a bite, and my mind was absolutely blown. The whole idea behind Skinny Dipped is that they use a super thin layer of chocolate, which, in my opinion, translates to a much better flavor profile. The ratios are just way better. Also, because there's way less chocolate, you're eating more of the healthy part of the snack, the almonds, in every single bite. They're 100% real, Largely organic ingredients with no artificial flavors or colors, no weird sugar alternatives, and they're naturally gluten-free, but honestly, there's so much more to them than that. I've spent way, way too much time thinking about this, but I think the secret is that there's this thin layer of maple syrup and salt that's between the almond and the chocolate. So, okay, you bite into them, and there are these bursts of different elements. First, you get this powdery outer layer which has fun flavors like raspberry and mint. And we'll get to the amazing flavors in a second. But first of all, okay, so we have the powdery layer and then there's this creamy, rich chocolate layer. And then there's this burst of salty, sweet, almost caramel notes before the final toasty, crunchy nut. They're truly addictive. And you don't have to feel bad about eating them because mostly you're just snacking on almonds. And then, and then to up the ante even more, they create all of these amazing flavors. The new ones, which just, just, just came out, they're fresh out into the world are the peppermint, and they are so good. They taste sort of like Christmas in a package with a mix of white and dark chocolate and just the right amount of a candy cane-like peppermint note. I also love the peanut butter and the raspberry, and then Zach loves the espresso because he's a coffee guy and the classic mint, but really you can't go wrong with any of them, so just go with the flavors that your heart is most drawn towards. You can get 20% off of your first order using the code Healthier Together, like the name of this podcast, on their website, which is skinnydipped.com. S K I N N Y D I P P E D.com. Again, that's a whopping 20% off with the code Healthier Together on skinnydipped.com. 
I cannot wait for you to try these. I truly have a problem, and I am so looking forward to you having a problem with me. All right, let's get back to the show. So you're in college. You read, you didn't go in as an environmental studies major? No, I actually went in as a journalism major. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, Really had no direction in life at all (laughs) when I was 18. I was just like very angsty and 18, as most 18-year-olds are. I did my first year of college in Paris. So it was kind of like this. Your first year? Like as a study abroad? NYU has this program where you can go abroad your first year. That's so interesting. When I was in high school, I wanted to like travel and visit new places. And yeah. Um, and so going abroad my first year was like my way to be free and explorative. So I was like, yes. Going was it to Paris. awesome? It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and so it was like a very general liberal arts kind of thing. So I came back and I was like, I guess I have to do something now. So I tried for journalism, hated it. It was just like awful for me. Um, What was awful about it? I just didn't care. Like I, I've never been the kind of person that does things that I don't want to do. And I think my mom has very much enabled me for that for better or for worse. Um, I think it's always been for better in the long run. Um, so journalism wasn't for me. Ended up looking into economics, learned about the um, the housing bubble, and I was like, nope, cannot. I'm like, I cannot spend the next three years of my life learning about huge, terrible mistakes of other people. Like, can't do it. Yeah. Um, although, <laughs> objectively, environmental science is very much centered on that same thing, but different. And I was in an environmental science class, and it was the only class that I was like front and center for, so excited about, like, loved learning about, and and I was like feeling it from, you know, when you get excited about something and you like feel it from your chest, mm-hmm. it was like really that energy. And it was like, what am I doing? I don't care about like future job prospects or whatever. Like, this is really interesting. So I'm just going to pursue it. Um, so I did. And which is probably again, like a little bit of your mom's, like it, it'll totally. work out just like follow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I'd rather live and die knowing that I live and died doing things that tried that were like fulfilling in my own little world way, um, as opposed to to living life for other people and then dying, yeah, without having like experience. You seem like you're not afraid to fail. Not at, at all. No, like never. Like zero fear of failure. Have you ever had a fear of failure? No, I don't think so. That's so. I mean, it it must be very freeing. I think that's what lets people accomplish incredible things. Sometimes is to just kind of get rid of that notion. I think sometimes I try to like both upplay like my abilities as an individual, but downplay them as well. And like, if I fail, like you can start again, like life goes on kind of thing. Um, And what is failing anyway? Like for instance, for package free, like if we failed tomorrow, we've already kept over 75 million pieces of trash out of landfill. So like what is failing anyway? Oh, I love that. Um, So for me, it's like failure is maybe looking at something from a less positive vantage point. And I think every failure like ultimately has some really awesome lessons in it and maybe even some like tangible benefits at the other side. So I don't know. I try to look at things from a bunch of different angles and and try to stay positive about how I look at everything. Um, but yeah, I think environmental science was one of those things that really was hard for a second because I was learning about how from like all angles, there was just like it was just like a shit story. <laughs> like 
animal agriculture, the oil and gas industry, subsidized industries, how the government works, like climate refugees, climate change, the sociology of environmental systems. And um, yeah, I mean, it's rough. And I was learning about all of these things and I wanted to take action. Like when you learn about something bad, you want to do something and I didn't know what to do. And at the time I was just like, evangelizing and like proselytizing and be like, mom, you know, you have to stop drinking conventional milk because there's hormones and you're going to get breast cancer. And then I was like, grandma, you have to stop like using natural gas. I don't know how she was supposed to do that, but like all of these things. And I was just like telling people why the way that they were living their life was wrong. And nobody wants to hear that. That's annoying as fuck. And it's like the surest way to get people to ignore you. Like my mom stopped answering my phone calls (laughs) because I was really annoying. Um, and through that time, that's, that's kind of when I saw the documentary Gasland um, by Josh Fox. I haven't seen it. It's about the oil and gas industry, um, specifically around hydrofracking and the, the methods mm. of extracting uh, natural gas from, from shale rock. Um, and it was like a process developed by Halliburton uh, to kind of get the most out of a, a well. And... Uh, it uses millions of gallons of water, hundreds of toxic and proprietary chemicals, and um, releases a lot of methane. And methane is exponentially more toxic or more warming of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide over yeah. a 100-year time frame. Um, and the, the process of fracking also causes a huge amount of um, human rights issues. Basically, oil companies will come in, um, rent or lease land um, to be able to frack it. And then if there's nothing there or if they like taint the water systems, um, they can just leave with effectively no liability, leaving these like poor disenfranchised people with valueless property um, after having promised them money. And so it was just one of those systems where I was like, this is so wrong. Like this is so wrong in so many ways. And they were going to um, start fracking in areas of upstate New York. Um, They were fracking all over the country. It was the time of like the Keystone XL pipeline. And it was just this moment. This was what, like 2011, maybe where like all of a sudden the power of the oil industry was becoming very evident. And I think Josh was like a huge um, part of creating this movement against the oil and gas industry. And um and I got really into activism. So after I saw this documentary, it was, again, kind of that realization that, like, human beings have the power to do something really bad, like a few people. Um, and I was like, okay, what can I do about this? And at the time, the way that I knew how to use my power was through activism. So I started student groups. I was in DC lobbying all the time. I was protesting all the time. Um, and luckily, because of the efforts of, like, a lot of people that were involved, fracking was banned in New York. Um, the Keystone XL pipeline was postponed. Um And so it felt like there were wins, kind of. But I think what I felt in the process of uh, this whole thing was that it was, again, very otherizing. Like, it wasn't me creating this problem. It was, like, big business and government. And so the only way that I knew how to take action was to yell and judge people and otherize people. Um, and at the same time I was studying politics and I was like, you know, not all politicians have to be that bad, right? Like there's no way, um, like it's called public service. Like how can everyone be so awful? And so, you know, I was, I'm always interested in learning about how, uh, how to look at situations from different angles and kind of try to see the best in something. Um, so anyway, 
was about to finish college, um, was in the last class that I had to take as an environmental science major. And uh, it was this thing called a capstone. And there was a girl in this class that every day would bring this like big plastic bag full of food, a plastic clamshell, plastic fork and knife, bag of chips. Just like normal New York takeout situation. Yeah, like every class. Yeah. And we had been studying environmental science, like we were about to graduate and I would see her eat everything and just like throw it in the trash. And I'd be like, what the F? Like, this is so antithetical to everything that we've been studying for four years. I I don't get it. And I would judge her and just think that she was like a total POS and like get really angry. And one day after class, I went home to make dinner and opened my fridge and was like, holy shit, every single thing in there was packaged in plastic, like my pre-washed greens and my condiments and my milk and my eggs and everything. And then I looked around my apartment more and like all of my kitchen utensils were plastic, like my K-cup coffee pods, my, yeah. my beauty products, my cleaning products and my clothes because I was participating in fast fashion. It was on the rise at that time. It was like at its, it was peaking. Um, and I was like, I've been protesting against the oil and gas industry for two years at this point, like giving my entire life to this cause, but I'm actively subsidizing this industry every single day, multiple times per day through my my consumption habits. And I was like, how did I not create a connection between what I was doing and like what the world looks like? And that's when I realized that I wasn't living my values. I was in total misalignment with what I cared about and I had to do something about it. So it's like, I'm going to stop using plastic today. And I was like, I marched over to, <laughs> to Rite Aid and I was like, I'm going to buy everything without plastic. And like, obviously there was literally nothing. Yeah. Um, so I had to find new ways to, to stay away from plastic. And that kind of caused me to dive really deep into the internet and learn how to make my own beauty products and cleaning products. And through that, that's how I learned about the zero waste lifestyle. Um, and there was one person writing about it at the time, Bea. She was a mom in California with two kids living a very different life than mine. I was like 21 and drunk all the time and, you know, in college. And uh, so I had to take a lot of what I was learning from from that blog and apply it to my own life. And as I started to reduce my waste, um, I realized that like there might be other people like me who care about the environment, but are maybe not living in alignment with that and who would benefit and find value in the things that I was learning and researching. And so that's what led me to start Trashes for Tossers. Which was your blog. Um, and at what point in writing the blog did you kind of see that there could be a really good social entrepreneurial? Uh, it like it took me a while. It took me like a few years, actually. So I started Trashes for Tossers at the tail end of being in college. Um, I graduated and I had a couple of jobs, one in consulting, one for the government. Um, And when I was in the government job, I had trashes for tossers running. I was pretty unhappy at work. I felt like I had all this energy again to like contribute to something bigger than myself, but it was just like so bureaucratic and I felt like my energy was not being well spent. At the same time, people on trashes for tossers were like, I love how you're living and these products that you're making, but like I you know, again, misconception about zero waste is like, I don't have the time to make my own laundry detergent or my own cleaning products or my own beauty products. And I have always felt that like time shouldn't be a reason that people can't have products that are safe for their bodies and homes and the environment. And so 
that's when I decided to start my first company, um, the Simply Co., which was a three-ingredient organic vegan laundry detergent, the same detergent that I was making for myself, um, to be able to give people access to a product that was as simple as one that you can make at home with ingredients that you already have, um, just make it more accessible. And so started that in like 2014, I believe. Um, and at first I did a Kickstarter and I was like hand making it myself. And, um, through that process, I started meeting more people that were in consumer products and specifically sustainable consumer products. And what I was learning from all of them and what I was kind of seeing myself running this business was, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to run a single product or few product assortment company. You need marketing dollars, you need salespeople, you need like these teams. And if you don't have like venture capital or, or like angel or some type of financial backing, like it's really hard to grow and scale. And it's really hard to pay yourself and like make ends meet. And especially with these mission driven companies that were so small, it was like people who had a passion for making a product, but not necessarily like marketing acumen or anything like that. Um, they were having just a really hard time growing and scaling, acquiring customers and kind of getting the word out. And this was, you know, 2014. So sustainability was nowhere near, um, you know, like mainstream dialogue. Like, you know, now there's like talking about zero waste in Vogue, but at the time it was like, you'd be lucky if mind body green was going to talk about zero waste. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of when I had this idea of, um, wanting to do something about that. So from trashes for tossers, people were like, okay, now we have these products, I see that you're using these tools like a reusable water bottle or like a bamboo toothbrush, but I'm not going to go to 40 different websites to buy all these products or like go to Amazon, which is full of plastic packaging and trash. Like that doesn't make sense. So like now what can I do? Like I don't have the ability to access products that help me reduce waste. So package free was kind of centered around solving those two problems. It was a way to take these like really badass consumer product companies, um, bring them all together, um, create collective discovery power, um, be able to bundle them all in one shipment and then make it easy for people who want to have these products to be able to, to access them in one shipment uh, at the same time. So when you started the company, were you faced with like issues of running an actual low or zero waste brand, like with shipping issues and stuff like that? So Package Free started as a pop-up um, and we started it by Basically asking, it was around 40 initial brands. Um, We asked them to pay up front to be involved. So it was like a subsidy effectively. And the deal was that they got to keep 100% of their sales. So we weren't actually making any money. But, you know, it had to be shipped to us plastic free, um, you know, no plastic packaging. Or the concept was, is like, we're living in a system where this is a very new concept, like zero waste products. Um, or products that result in not creating any waste. Uh, so we were picking the best of what was available. Um, maybe not products that were perfect, but, you know, motivating the brands to use plastic-free shipping uh, practices, paper tape, all of that was like a big part of the process of onboarding and getting this started. Um, and, it, and everyone was like really amenable to it. And so after, you know, when we started the got the money, got the space, 
it was kind of this thing of like, is this going to work? But like, whatever, because I was running SimpliCo at the time. Um, it was SimpliCo profitable. I know you had your Kickstarter and all that, but it was like profitable from the yeah, get-go. Yeah, I was like, we were fine. Like, it was... You weren't going to become like rich off of it, but you could like, it was working. Yeah, it was working. And it was just me. Yeah. So it was like, it wasn't... There weren't a lot of expenses. Yeah, yeah. it was, there was very low overhead. Yeah. Um, and so entered into it kind of like, this is going to be a fun experiment. Like, let's see what happens. But by day one, there was like a, a line out the door. Um, and by the end of month one, all of the vendors had paid themselves back from that initial, initial money. Month two, they had all made like pretty good profit so much so that by month three, um, almost all of them converted from this like consignment model that we had to a wholesale retail model. So we were able to take margin on products and use that cash flow to continue the business. Yeah. So um, launched e-com and, and just started to grow in scale. And, um, through that process, as we grew, um, we were having the ability to, to like ask brands to do more and more. So even now we're, we're the largest revenue drivers for a large percentage of our brands. Um, and with that power comes the ability to say like, hey, we don't want you to use, you know, this type of packaging anymore, or like this type of label. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so we've helped a huge percentage of our brands change their practices to become more sustainable just through the power that we have as a purchaser. That's super cool. And I also like, do you, it's, it's interesting when you're talking about like, we're doing the best we can, especially at the beginning, because I feel like did you run into when you went zero waste people like, I don't know, like watching you and being like, oh, is she going to like mess up? Is she going to like looking for like the one little things that, I mean, that might not be perfect? Like, yeah. Like with vegans all the time, it's like, yeah. oh, but that's not vegan. And it's also like, why are you judging somebody else? But no, I mean, I started living this lifestyle for myself. And like I said, to align my day-to-day actions with my values for environmental sustainability. So this was never something that was intended for other people. It was yeah. just because like I didn't feel right living in a world that was like that is so messed up for so many reasons and contributing to it well and also it's just like it's still better like even if you're getting something and it has a little bit of you know tape or something it's just it's like it's still people are trying and i hate 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 in society when we condemn the people who are trying instead of the people who are like fully on the other side it's one of my least favorite things and and one of the things that I think has made what we're doing really successful is like meeting people where we're at like or where they're at before I knew about zero waste I cared about the environment but I was still using a lot of plastic like people are where they are and have different motivations for change but I think judging someone for where they're at is never a motivator for change like shame works sometimes but I don't think it's long-term sustainable so I think leading by example, showing people how you're living, showing how it makes you feel good is a much better motivator for for change and positive action than than judgment. And, you know, on my Instagram all the time, like people are really judgmental or like trying to pick out like things that I do. And I'm like looking for plastic and photos or something. I think of every, like I think through every choice that I make. I am conscious of all of my actions. Like I am so observant of myself. And if I make a decision, like there's a reason for it. Um, but even if there was something that could be improved in my life, telling me that I'm wrong is never going to motivate me to listen to you ever. Yeah. And it's just like, you're already doing so I just am like, let's applaud the things that people are doing. 
instead of condemning the few things that because it just it makes totally. people not want to try because you're never going to achieve perfection because we're humans. Yeah. And I think like, again, every, every positive change is positive. So like if you, the biggest, the biggest place I get it from is like, is vegans, honestly. And like, I would, do you eat me? I eat me, um, very seldom, but I eat it from people who I know are raising animals in a way that is aligned with environmental sustainability in my ideal world. Nobody would eat meat. Okay. So you, you, do you think that eating meat is bad for the environment fundamentally? It's a really loaded question because eating meat in a way that's like in line with human systems and like indigenous populations and, you know, like hunting for an animal, eating the whole thing. Like there are some places in the world where meat is the only food that they have. So you can't say like the world needs to go vegan because that's just not realistic. Like eating animals is part of our DNA as human beings. But here's the thing. There's like at large scale animal agriculture is not okay. Like applying Ford practices, you know, I guess Ford got his inspiration for how to build cars from like the animal agriculture industry. Um, if I'm, if I I'm, know that. I was, like, was going to say if I'm not butchering that fact, but that, that <laughs> seemed, that seemed crass. Um, yeah, but, but the, the rate at which we consume animals is not sustainable at all. And that's largely because, you know, I focus on methane as a metric for, for climate change, as, as everybody should, because of the short-term effects of the warming capacities of that gas over carbon dioxide. Um, and animal agriculture is one of the largest drivers of methane production. So not eating animals in the short term is an amazing thing that you could do for climate change. Um, that being said, one of the reasons that I... so. I never eat meat in my home, anything like that. But there are people who are choosing to raise animals in ways that is in line with more sustainable consumption habits. And those people should be celebrated and not ignored mm-hmm. um, because you could just have an animal agriculture, like large scale feeding lot operation and make more money. But people that are choosing not to do that. I think are are courageous and admirable and taking a huge amount of personal risk and financial risk to do something that is objectively more right. That's really interesting perspective. If you were to give, if somebody said, I want to be a socially conscious entrepreneur, what would you tell them if they wanted to sort of live in line with their values from a career sense? Yeah, I guess I would ask like, what are your values? I think that's a question that people don't ask themselves a lot. Like my biggest thing is what do I care about? And am I living my life in a way that contributes to that every single day? What I realized when I asked myself the question seven, eight, eight years ago is like, no, I was not. Um, and so that's what led me to take the steps to like improve my own life. And I think through doing that, that's what has led me to my path of entrepreneurship. But I think in order to do like something really positive. I think you have to know what you care about first and not just try to be like, I want to start a socially conscious business for the sake of like starting a socially conscious business. It's like, what is, what are your values? What are you trying to solve for? Where are their problems and how can you use your skill sets to help to solve them? Um, and for me, business made sense because of my personality. And, um, but for other people, it might be through being a teacher or through, Um, you know, being a writer or through, I I don't know, running for office or through just being a parent and raising children that are um, asking questions like that and thinking about things like that and being more conscious of their day-to-day actions. So um, I don't think there's like one method 
But I do think business is an amazingly powerful tool to make change, whether positive or negative. But if people get into it without understanding their why and what their values are, it can be incredibly destructive. I love the idea of just asking what your values are and then thinking about every way that you can actually apply them to your your life without any changes, like being like, okay, I work in this office environment. How can I transfer my job a little bit more in line with my values? I think that we, we tend to want to make these like huge shifts to have huge effects in our lives, but I like these like little tweaks. Yeah. I mean, it can be, it's, you can, you can go deep and it's like fun. I think it's a really powerful exercise. Like if you care about you know, the health of farmers. It's like, okay, first, what am I eating? And then like, what larger companies am I supporting? What restaurants am I going to? But in my workplace, like, what are we contributing to? And Mm -hmm. how can I use my voice and my power to make change there? How can I, you know, like raise awareness around a value system? But I think it's also paying attention to the fact that like your values aren't going to be the same as everybody else's values. And I think living your values and being a champion in a torch of your values is inspiring to people and you don't have to push them on people and you should never push them on people to make change. Um, I think if you live your values and see that people are receptive to them, then there's like an opportunity to, to make shifts. But um, pushing your values on people is, is super annoying. What about when it directly comes up against others? So I'm thinking about like when you live in a house with a family and so the way that they're living their values or making choices for the family affects you, or if you're in a relationship with somebody, how does that work? I think you can only control yourself, right? There, you can't change other people. Like I know I've tried. It doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, so I think like do what you can in your power right now. Like if you still live with your family, maybe you have the ability to like say no to trash and waste in the outside world, like say no to plastic bags and plastic straws. And like, maybe that's the amount of control that you have right now. But I also think, yeah, like recognizing what your limitations are and doing the best that you can within the confines of your current life is like step one. And then I think like having open conversations about like how, like, this is how I want to live. And this is why it excites me. Like that makes people think, I think just by proxy, of knowing me so many people begin thinking about their own consumption habits just because they know what mine are and that is a driver for change definitely happened for me for sure and you don't have to tell people to like be different it's just like showing that there are other ways to live um is really powerful have you has it been an issue in any of your relationships all all of my past so my past three relationships um so actually all four of my my boyfriends in my life, I've had four, um, they all came through me pursuing my values. The first one I met at a nonviolent direct action training when I was uh, pro- protesting against the oil and gas industry. Um, so again, like found someone through my values. He was super in line and, and started living a zero waste lifestyle with me. He was a huge um, like part of, of making it so fun because he was so excited and engaged. Um, uh, and then my second boyfriend met through, he found my blog, Trashes for Tossers. And um, and he reached out to and you? And he reached out. And, and we you were met. like, let's mm-hmm. go on a date? And we happened to be in the same place at the same time, met, and, and he loved what I did. And, and so he met me through my value system. Oh and my he, God, that's cool. My third boyfriend, he literally was a cameraman at my house <laughs> when someone was filming me for like a Brazilian TV show. And so he knew who I was from the beginning and was like super aligned with my values. And I helped him reduce waste. Uh, in so many ways. And uh, he changed a lot of things in his life. And I think what I found is like men are really open to reducing waste. I think um, 
I've had to be a catalyst for them, like in my relationships, but it's been like a super easy process. And then my most recent boyfriend as well, like he, I went to a dinner that he hosted and he had already known about what I did and like seen my TED talk and was really excited. And, um, so it's like a hot dating tip, like live in line with your values and you'll get like a bunch of hot dates. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, in my experience, yes. (laughs) But I also think just like living in alignment with your values attracts people that are like in that energetic play. I I like really believe in the the power of intention and the law of attraction. And um, if you're focused on what you're wanting, then you'll attract people who are energetically aligned with that. And I think that's proven true four times for me. Wow. That's very impressive. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. You all know that I've been really open with you about my struggles with anxiety. I shared my whole anxiety story on my Instagram, so definitely head over there if you're like, what? Liz has anxiety? But basically, I was completely agoraphobic for a while, and I still struggle with generalized anxiety disorder. While I think there are a ton of wellness practices that can help with anxiety, I truly believe in the power of therapy. And not just because both of my parents and both of Zach's parents are therapists, which is definitely a story for another day. The only problem, it can be super hard to find a good therapist, and then seeing said therapist can be crazy expensive. That's why I'm so excited to share BetterHelp with you. BetterHelp is an online professional counseling platform that I've been using for a few months now. You go on their site and you answer a few questions about the state of your mental health and what you're looking for, and then they match you with a licensed professional therapist. And if you don't like that therapist, no worries, it's totally free and super easy to change to a different one. Within 24 hours, you can be messaging that therapist, and I have been so impressed with both the quality and the timeliness of the responses that I've gotten. Beyond that, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And I have to say, I was skeptical about this at first. I thought there was no way it could be as helpful as sitting in the room with an actual therapist, but it really is. I love my therapist so much, and I also love not having to like lose an hour of my day to get all the way to the session and back. With therapy, consistency is so important and being able to fit my sessions way more easily into my weekly routine has been a total game changer. It's also way cheaper than traditional therapy, like less than a third of how much you would pay here in New York City, which I absolutely love because I do not think that taking care of your mental health should be a luxury that's only afforded to people with a ton of money. Plus, they have financial aid, so if you don't feel like you can afford it, definitely send them an email. They really want to make sure that therapy is available to all people, which they're doing a pretty good job of because there are already 500,000 people using the service worldwide. They were kind enough to give me a code so that Healthier Together listeners can get 10% off of their first month of service. Just go to betterhelp.com, that's better H-E-L-P, the word help, dot com slash healthier together to get the discount. It's really easy to sign up and you can start therapy right away, which means that you can start feeling better right away. Also, if you are struggling with mental health issues, I want you to know that you are not alone at all. So many of us are in it with you and I am in it with you. And if you're feeling lonely or anxious or depressed, know that you're not weird or damaged and you can still have an amazing, amazing life and know that I am 100% there for you. All right. Let's get back to the episode. I want to get to um, some of the questions that people send in because there's a lot and they're really good. Um, Okay. What about food waste? 
What about food waste? Do you, food waste is obviously a huge problem in the country. Um, and you tend, when you define zero waste, you compostable get sort of like a free pass, right? I compost. So that's not food waste technically. Right. So how do you, is there ways that people can go about combating food waste in their own lives? Is there ways that you use to combat food waste in your life? So let's first talk about why food waste is bad. Um, like, and food waste being like, organic things going into landfill. Um, most people don't understand or know or were ever given access to understanding about how a landfill works, but landfills effectively are a big hole in the ground that things get put into and all of the oxygen is squeezed out. So there's no actual like aerobic digestion or digestion with the presence of oxygen that happens because everything's so tightly compacted. So what happens is something called anaerobic digestion. When you have something like food or something organic in a landfill, um, going through anaerobic digestion, that releases methane. And like we talked about before, methane is exponentially more potent of a warming of a warming gas um, over a 100 year time frame, which is well within where scientists estimate we have um, we have to make changes for the climate. We have 11 point whatever years to get our shit together. So reducing waste to landfill, reducing organic matter to landfill. Reduces um, methane directly. Reduces methane directly. And, and landfills are one of the top three drivers of methane production. Okay. So um, that's why it's bad. Okay. So, if, you know, if even like compostable plastics, all of that, super bad to go into a landfill. People sometimes justify throwing food away because they're like, oh, it'll just biodegrade in a landfill. That's not how it works. And that's actually super bad. Okay. So if you want to do something that has a powerful impact right now. Obviously not eating meat is a big one. Um, and not putting food waste into landfill is a really big one. Um, so I'd say like, those are the two most powerful things from a methane perspective that you could do right now. Um, how do you prevent and reduce food waste? Um, one is just by being a proactive grocery shopper, like looking at your schedule, making a shopping list and buying only what you need. Um, my diet consists of staples like pastas and rice and like dried beans and, and things like that. And then I'll add fresh vegetables into that mix. So it's a really simple diet and I'll only buy um, like fresh vegetables that I could like freeze, for instance. So if I buy a bunch of broccoli and I already cut it up and clean it, if by like the middle of the week and like I've, it's Wednesday, I have dinners Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but I have this broccoli, I can put it in a stainless steel container and freeze it. So the most expensive and detrimental food that we buy is the food that we throw away, yeah. right? Um, so just by planning ahead and then being proactive about like properly cooking something or storing it before it goes to waste is like probably the best thing that you can do. Um, and then like proper food storage. So, um, you know, carrots, if you put them in water or celery, if you put them in water in your fridge, they'll last a lot longer and stay crisp um, compared to uh, if you just like put them on the shelf. Uh, things like kale, if you take it off the stem, it'll last longer because the stems draw moisture from the leaves. So there's like little things that you can do to, to keep your your stuff fresh longer um i love putting herbs in a little um like pot of water like a vase it also just like makes you feel really adult like very fancy i mean like i feel french for some reason (laughs) french herbs in my fridge yeah i really like it um composting is one of my favorite things to do and it makes such an impact it's so positive directly contributes to healthier soils, um, less of a dependence on synthetic fertilizers because compost is very nutrient dense. So do you, Um, 
compost at home or do you bring it to? So I keep my compost in my freezer and a little metal bowl. Every Saturday I go down to my recycling room, take a paper bag, put the compost in there and walk it to the farmer's market. Um, luckily in New York, you know, municipal composting is happening um, slowly. I think people are doing it very badly because there's been no education in the rollout plan of composting in New York City. It was just like an atrocity. And I will openly say that because I think it could have been executed exponentially better. But having worked for the government and like the the departments that actually do that, I know how hard it is to do anything there. So I applaud them for even having composting. Um, I think it's rolling out in a lot more cities. And I think it's more available than people realize through things like farmers markets and community composting and community gardens, but it's definitely not as large scale as it should be. And I think composting is something that's not really talked about that much is something that could directly have a large scale positive impact on climate change. Because it's reducing the amount of anything in that landfill, which is reducing the methane. 100%. Exactly. So could you Google just like composting your city and probably find some sort of option? Probably if you live in like a big city or okay. like in the Pacific Northwest or like something like that. Otherwise, it's like farmers at farmers markets are a great place to start because some, sometimes they'll take compost back and then like bring then it to their use farm. It at their farm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then otherwise like starting a community composting program, oh, that's cool. you know, like just because something is avail isn't available doesn't mean I think of business as like solving problems and problems, recognizing what problems are is like an amazing breeding ground for, for opportunity. So if you have a problem, somebody else probably has that problem. You can't be the only person in a town that wants to yeah. compost if there's no composting. So you know, and a great way people. to meet people. Again. Exactly. It's probably you're going to meet your next date. Like interested in composting. <laughs> yeah. For, like being my baby daddy. <laughs> hey. You know, I mean, stranger things have happened. It should be um, an app for. There, <laughs> there should be an environmentally. We sell so many vibrators. Like sustainability people are horny AF, like myself included. Probably because so, they're eating so well. So yeah. the blood flow, like all they're over so the body. They're so connected to their values. Yeah, for they sure. They just have like a good flow of energy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like sustainability is such an amazing way to connect with people. And if just because something doesn't exist, like, oh, I don't have any bulk stores in my community or like I have no composting. Okay. Then like do something about mm -hmm. it. That's the cool thing. It's like, don't rely on the world to change for you, change the world. And you can do that in such small ways, like starting a community composting by, you know, talking about how you're living zero waste by asking a grocery store to offer something in bulk. Like yeah. you have power to make change. And I think that's why zero waste is so cool because it's like unleashing all of that potential power and making people feel that they have the ability to do something, which we all do. Yeah, for sure. I think about that every, like even I, I forgot my tote bag at my grocery store the other day. Um, and I, so I just carried everything home in my arms and I had like toilet paper and all this stuff just cause I was like, I don't want to use a plastic bag. And the grocery store lady was laughing at me. But then the next day she was like, oh, I told my friend about you. I go to the grocery so store every day cause I'm recipe developing and whatever. But, um, she's like, yeah, I told my friend about you. And then we were laughing, but then we were also like recommending to people not to get a plastic bag with their stuff. Like See, it's so dope. And it like, was one person has the power to make change. Yeah. It's, even if it feels small, like that could that could feel so small to you, but look at what you did. Yeah, and it felt really um, precarious as well as I was walking home. Um, I have a second sub question of that, which is like, do you have time management tips? Because I feel like you're so good at being like, to of getting rid of the excuse that you don't have enough time to do this stuff. And I use that excuse for myself all the time. 
why are you running a business, you're meal prepping, you're combo, you're doing all this stuff that I feel like we give ourselves permission not to do. I I am a believer that there's always time. Like where? I how I, there's I just feel like there's always time for the things that I really care about. Like I don't know. I feel like I run my business. I have a social life. I have my dog. I cook my food. I buy my groceries. Is like, there stuff you're not two wasting hours of time on that other um, people might be? Or like, is there anything pragmatic you could tell me that would, I don't know. I just feel like I run out of time every single day. I think like one, I like my calendar is really important <laughs> and definitely like I miss things and I cancel things. Like, don't get me wrong. There's like things that I have to push around. I'm not perfect, but for things like, um, I don't know getting my coffee in a reasonable cup as opposed to like yeah like there's things that I'll take the time for because one it's just how I've lived for eight years so it's like become a part of my routine but two like what are you not willing to sacrifice and for me it's like making trash so um finding time I mean also okay, here's a good thing like it takes a lot of time to like walk to the store every day and buy groceries I'm sure because you're recipe testing like for me, if I ran out of toothpaste and I had to walk to the store and buy toothpaste and walk back, that's like 20 to 30 minutes of my time. Like that's as much time as it would take me to like clean all my vegetables and meal prep, but it takes me 30 seconds to make toothpaste because it's mm. baking soda and coconut oil. So I save 30 minutes by not buying something packaged and by making right. it myself for like 29.5 minutes. It's actually interesting thinking about how much time you spend one spend shopping. Yeah, buying period. shit. Like yeah, shopping. Buying shit. Like online shopping takes a shit ton of time. Shopping in stores takes a lot of time. Yeah. Like, um, I secondhand shop. And so like, whatever, that's something fun for me. But I've just stopped when I, I bowed out of fast fashion, like about a year ago, and it completely changed, like, just the amount of time and the amount of money and all of that that I had. I mean, so many people think that sustainability is is so exclusionary from a cost perspective, but I've saved like I would argue hundreds of thousands of dollars over eight years through living this lifestyle, through food, packaged food that I'm not buying, clothing that I'm not buying, through saying no to things that I don't need, buying things secondhand instead of new. Um, like a huge and huge significant amount of money. Yeah. Um, even on something as simple as like a period product, you can save thousands of dollars by using a menstrual cup instead of a tampon. So like you save a huge amount of money by living this lifestyle. And even if like the upfront cost of something seems more like a menstrual cup is $40, that's way more money than a box of tampons. But over the course of the 10 years, right. its lifespan, you'll save a huge amount of money. So, you know, thinking about money in a different way, which we're not really taught to think about money in the United States like that. Like we don't think of return on investment. We think of like upfront cost. Right. Um, so, you know, there's shifts of like how we use money that need to be considered. But then also, you know, the reason that we just raised money for package free was to like very much change the narrative around that. Why are sustainable products upfront more expensive than their like conventional counterparts? And my deduction for that is because of economies of scale. Nobody's tackled sustainable consumer products at uh, economies of scale as like Procter & Gamble and Unilever products. But when you actually look into the cost per unit at scale, you can make sustainable products as inexpensive as conventional consumer products. And nobody's done that yet. I think <laughs> It's really exciting because that's what we're on a mission to do now. Like I, I wholeheartedly believe that 
money should never be a limiting factor for access to products that are safe for our homes and our bodies and, and good for the environment. And so um, our mission now is to is to make products that help you reduce waste, live a sustainable lifestyle, save money, um, and protect your body uh, as convenient and accessible as it is to go and buy a Unilever product. I love that. Okay, we're going to do some quick fire because I know you need to get back to running your business, your actual business. Um, okay, what are three products that if somebody wanted to start being zero waste or less waste, you would recommend like first three you would want to buy? It's so hard because everyone's life and routine is different. So like what works for me might not work for you. I love a menstrual cup. I think it's been one of the best changes that I've ever made in my life and saves me so much money. And like not having a tampon is one of the shittiest feelings ever. Mm. Also just using tampons is really gross. And like putting something dry and like cottony in your vagina is like Mm -hmm. pretty awful. And so menstrual cup for me for a menstruating person okay. is wonderful. Um, or you could even say for you, like the top three that sort of have changed your life the most of products you've purchased. So I think simplifying my skincare routine to two products like a bar soap and a um, oil moisturizer, that has been really great. Um, and you, when you have like hormonal acne, you're not tempted to like... I don't have horm- – I don't – I guess I get hormonal acne, but no, I – for me, like, or as you get older, you're not like tempted to be like, oh, I need an anti. You're not, you're not swayed by acne, the marketing messages. No, because acne for me, like, it's kind of like a messy house, right? Like when your house is messy, it's usually a sign that like your mental state isn't where it should be, or you're like not prioritizing something. I think like acne is a body's cry for help. It's a symptom. It's Yeah. And so putting something like a Band-Aid on it isn't addressing why you have acne in the first place. Um, so for me, like as much as I hate having a pimple and it's like embarrassing and annoying, it's also like, okay, I need to maybe like slow the fuck down because something's happening and like something's off. Am I not sleeping enough? Am I not drinking enough water? Am I eating like shit? Am I, you know, am I drunk all the time? Like what is happening? And addressing um, that. And addressing that. So So as much as like, you know, perfect skin would be like a great goal. Um, Sometimes you don't treat your body as well as you should. And I know that there's other reasons for acne as opposed to like not treating your body well. There's like deeper hormonal issues, but I think food, sleep, hydration are some pretty fundamental ones and usually um, one of, and usually some of the biggest drivers of breakouts. So I like to address that. I know people always ask me, it's one of the most common messages I get is like, if I go off the pill, I'm worried my acne will come back. And I'm like, if your acne comes back and you're off your pill, off the pill, you have some sort of hormonal thing you need to address. And it's like better that you know that. Um, That's where food becomes so important and just knowing your body and knowing your cycle. And like, I'm so connected to my body through like tracking my period, knowing how I eat, looking at my emotions. And I don't try to fight against my body. I try to be like, what's going on here? Right. Um, a lot of people want to know how you feel about Greta Thunberg. It's interesting. I think environmental awareness is incredible. One of the things that I think is really dangerous about what's happening with Greta is I think people are like, Greta is going to save us. Greta's not going to save us. She's raising awareness about environmental issues, but it's kind of like what you saw with Obama. Like, because Greta exists, I feel like people are like, okay, we're good now. Like, the Mm. environment is saved. Like, with Obama, like, okay, we're good. Like, Obama's going to save us. Like, Obama's not going to save us. Greta's not going to save us. Like, we need to save us. And I think it's amazing to let people know that there's a problem. But now it's like, okay, people know there's a problem. What are we going to do about it? And I think inciting fear in people without giving them ways to 
alleviate or remediate that fear can be really dangerous. And that's why I think zero waste is so amazing because it gives people tangible tools that they can use every single day to actually have a positive impact on climate um, as opposed to just being scared that it's changing. I love that. Okay. Um, I, I think we actually covered a lot of these. I have three questions that I always ask everybody. Um, we well, have more than that, but we're going to keep it short. <laughs> uh, one is, is there ever any place in the world that you've been where you're like, these people really got it right in terms of health or happiness? And if so, where was it? It's a really good question. Um, probably di- like different parts in different places. Um, my friend Manju, uh, she's a farmer in California and her life, like she took a typical suburban, like LA home, like in diamond bar, um, and converted it into a place that grows food for her family. And that's amazing. And I think she's like showing that there's a different way to live. Like she inspires me hugely. Um, but a country or a place, I mean, mm, I think going to Korea and seeing a Korean diet was really important for me in like five days of being there, my skin changed and my eyes changed. Like my eyes were whiter. My skin was better. I was like more clear and bright. And I, I think like places that understand the value of food as like a contributor to overall well-being. I think like Italians are very much like that. Korea was a place where like everyone that I was talking to knew what benefit a certain food had on their body. And that's like so couldn't be more different from America um, where we eat as like fuel and not as like. We think about calories, I think more than anything else, like literally like it's an engine. If you just shove any type of gas into it, yeah, fine. Um, Which is interesting. Okay. What's the best way to spend 20 minutes every day Um, in terms of living a healthier, happier life? I mean, for me, like walking my dog is a really good one. Um, She probably appreciates that too. I think just like doing nothing uh or like masturbating um somebody uh, like more people than you would think have said masturbating I mean, masturbating so good for I you i think it's every time i do it i give myself like a gold star because i'm like you boosted your immunity like 100%. you balanced your hormones so i think that um or yeah i something that i love about yoga is that when you lay down i realize that like it's the first time that i've laid down and done nothing in like maybe months wow. <laughs> when I go and like when I'm done and I just have the space to like think for like a few versus moments. like before bed where you read a book or, or something. I'm like on my phone yeah and then I like fall asleep with like something glowing in my face right like yoga is you get kind of like two mindsets like the before you start the practice where you're just like kind of all in your head but you lay down and like you feel your back for the first time mm. like in what seems like forever and then after the practice you're like you have it's literally you in your brain and that's a moment that i don't really get that often um especially cuz i haven't gone to yoga in a long time but for me it's like a tangible palpable presence which is so different from how i live my life which is like i'm here but i'm not here i'm like everywhere else and where i should be and where i'm going and like being with yourself for literally 3 minutes before practice or like 5 minutes after is like some of the most valuable presence that i feel in my whole life ever i love that I also think you it, for to the 20 minutes point, I do a home yoga practice for like 20 minutes and and doing it at home makes it so I can fit it in so much more totally. and you still get that like awesome rush. Okay. And last one, what is one really big mistake you've made and what's something you really got right? I really, it's funny. Like I don't, like I don't 
think of mistake. I think mistakes is just like the word mistake is really bad because it's like making a decision that didn't play out the way that you thought. But I ultimately think all of those things are really positive. Like I think it's so important to know what you don't want or what doesn't make you happy or what feels bad so that you don't do it again. Um, So I think of like anything that contributes to those feelings as a positive and not as like a mistake. Um, I mean, I do shit all the time, but isn't what I think it's going to be or doesn't work out the way I thought, but ultimately like helps to change my view of how I do something next time. I know that's like a really, it's like not the answer you're looking for, but um, like I try to take all experiences and turn them into a lesson as opposed to like a way to hate myself. And like the word mistake is kind of like you did something wrong. They're like a mental, cause you've, you, you, you feel like an optimist, like at heart in so many ways. And is there like a mental dialogue or something that like somebody who has a hard time viewing stuff optimistically could could steal from you? Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Like I, I have like depressive tendencies, but I definitely have an optimistic outlook on life. And I think that helps me find balance and also think about things from so many different perspectives. Like, mm, I don't know. I just think like our reality is what we make it kind of. And I, I just think there's always more sides to a story. So if I think about something and how it feels, it's like, okay, what, like asking yourself, like, what's another way that I could look at this? Yeah. Or even like asking a friend to start, like, what's another way that I could look at this thing that makes me feel really shitty? And like literally oh, asking like some of that, that question, like if you can't do it yourself, like bring someone in to help you, you know, like kind of how you were talking about your partner with like solutions, right? Like, okay, maybe you're thinking about something and you feel really bad. You're like, okay, what's another way that I could think about this problem? Like, I feel this way because of this, but like, what's another way that I can think about it? And it's well, not like ha- inherently, it's- they're going to have another way to think about it just because they're a different because person. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that could be like a really helpful, it's not them providing a solution. It's them giving you another per- perspective or vantage point. I love that. Okay. Bring us home with one thing you feel like you got really right. I think- I try not to do things. I feel like if I do things in a way that everybody else is doing them, I'm doing something wrong Um, because the world isn't perfect. And the way everyone is doing everything is creating the world that we live in. And so um, I'll do things the same way as everyone else when the world is exactly what I want it to be. So I think like always looking for like never feeling comfortable being homogenous is something that I feel very lucky to be driven towards. Well, this is, I think you, first of all, very much succeeded in that. And this is a very empowering conversation, I feel. I, you, you just, you really imbue somebody with a sense of their own power in, in a really positive way. And so thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for having this conversation with me. Okay, was I right? Do you feel empowered and excited and invigorated? I really, really hope so. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this episode. So please screenshot and tag me at Liz Moody, tag Lauren at Trashes for Tossers. Let's definitely continue the conversation. And if you love this episode, please leave a rating and review. I'm still going to be doing those little giveaway boxes basically forevermore. Um, I don't know why I would stop doing them. So just leave a rating, review, screenshot, tag at Liz Moody on Instagram, and then you are entered. I'll be sending out a ton of boxes every month of my favorite beauty products, food, and all of that. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you on the next episode. Love you guys. Uh. 
I have been looking for a quality fish oil to take myself and recommend to you for years, and I genuinely couldn't find one that met my quality standards. And then I kept hearing from doctors on the pod about how important it was for our brains and our hearts, even dermatologists who said it makes a huge difference for our skin. And I was like, okay, I truly need to figure this out. Then I found O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil from Puri. The brand was literally created because the founder ran into the same problem as me. He couldn't find anything truly pure enough to take daily. Puri believes in full transparency with all of their products. Every single batch is third-party tested by the Clean Label Project and IFOS, which tests fish oils looking for the highest quality, safety, and purity standards in the world against more than 200 contaminants, heavy metals, pesticides, glyphosate, dioxins, and bisphenols, to name a few, and they always receive a 5 out of 5 star rating. Every Puri bottle actually comes with a QR code so you can scan and see the results for yourself. This is well above the standards of any other fish oil I've found, which is so important to me because if I am consuming something for my health, I don't want it to actually be causing harm. Puri's fish oil is so fresh, you'll never get any gross, fishy burps because every batch is tested to make sure it hasn't oxidized and gone rancid. And yes, that is where those burps come from. Do not just take my word. With Puri, you can find actual data behind every single batch, which makes Puri a supplement brand that you can trust. Right now, Puri is offering my listeners 20% off their O3 Ultra Pure Fish Oil and all of their great products. Go to my special URL, puri.com slash Liz Moody, and use my promo code Liz Moody. This even applies to the already discounted subscriptions. You will get almost a third off the price. Go to puri.com slash L-I-Z M-O-O-D-Y. Do not wait. Use promo code Liz Moody at P-U-O-R-I dot com slash Liz Moody.